Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Man, it's such a different perspective watching worship from down there and then coming up here to teach. I am so honored to be bringing you the last message in our Summer at the Crossing series. We've had some amazing speakers over the past month, haven't we? Can you guys give it up for all of the speakers that we have had? To Pastor Reggie, Pastor Orlando, even Pastor Dallas, who brought us the last two weeks worth of messages. They were so incredible and life-changing. And I would encourage you to go to our website and catch up on those. But I know what you are really most excited about. It's not me. I know that you are the most excited that Pastor Randy is coming back next week. I know we have missed him terribly and he is such an amazing pastor. I am honored to serve under his leadership. He shepherds our church so well. And if you are a guest here today, I I really do hope that you enjoy your Sunday with us, but I would hope that you would come back next week so that you can hear our senior pastor because I know that the Lord has given him a word in this time of rest that is for our church. So I know Pastor Randy, you are watching online. And guys, would you help me give it up for our awesome senior pastor? We miss you, we love you, and we can't wait to see you back next week. Well, as Pastor Randy and I were talking about me leading the message this Sunday, he asked me, Christine, what is your burden? And at the moment, I was so overwhelmed at just the thought of speaking, I couldn't really give him an answer, but I did go home and I did pray about it. And I talked to the Lord about it. And and as I spent time doing that, I believe that the Lord made it very clear to me that my burden is you. My burden is you. It's every person who proclaims Christ as their savior. And it's the crossing church. And it's not just the crossing, but it is all of the churches in our city because the burden of my heart is that we as believers would come to take hold of everything that has been made available to us through Jesus. That's the burden of my heart. And I love the church. I believe in the church, in this right here. This is what gets me excited because, you know, I was raised in the church. I don't even remember the first time that I went to church. I'm sure I was very, very young, just like my children have been the first time that I brought them to church. But church means so much to me because I can honestly say that right here on this stage is the very first place that I ever led worship. It's the first place that I ever did what one of the gifts that the Lord has given me and it was awful. I, I, I don't say that lightly. I truly mean that it was awful. It was to a crowd of a whole eight students, and they sat right there. And back then, you weren't required to memorize your music. And so I had a sheet in front of me, and, and I brought them. And uh, the piano, the, the grand piano that's in the back now, is like somewhere right here on stage. And so I set my music down on top of the piano. And I prepared myself and, and I led worship like this. <laughs> Hungry I come to you for I know 
you satisfied? <sighs> and I led the entire service with my back to all of them. I never once turned around and bless his heart, our very, very sweet youth pastor kept looking at me like, this is it, huh? <laughs> like, this is, this is all you got for me. And I'd look at him like, I'm not, no, I'm not turning around. I'm not doing it. This is, this is it. And I'm so grateful that they let me back up on the stage, that they would ask me to bring you the message today because I do believe that the Lord has given me a word for you this morning. You know, I, 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 I believe that the Lord has called me to ministry, but we can begin to think that this, what we do here in the church on a Sunday is the beginning and the ending of ministry. I want you to understand that this is not where it begins and ends. I wholeheartedly believe in what Paul said in Ephesians 4, that this honor is that you would be equipped that the person who does this kind of thing, their job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. It's not that it would begin and end with the person up on stage, but that you would be equipped to take what you have learned to go out and to do ministry throughout the week, and I wholeheartedly believe that. So as I prayed, Lord, what is it that you would have me share? <coughs> Excuse me. Lord, what is it that you would have me say to equip people this week so that as they go out, that they would be encouraged to do the ministry that you've put in their heart. And this is what the Lord told me to say. He wants me to remind you that the promises that the Lord has spoken over your life whether they be the promises that you've read in scripture or the promises that you've heard from him in your time alone with him, the promises that have been spoken over you will come to pass not because of you, but in spite of you. The promises that the Lord has spoken over your life will come to pass, not because of you, but in spite of you. And as a leader of young adult ministry, I know, I see it often, just how much the digital age really affects every part of our life, especially things like social media where we're really only seeing people's highlight reels. We're really only seeing the best things that are going on in their lives and it really looks like the Lord is accomplishing so much in everybody else and everybody else is living up to their calling and doing all of these amazing things and it can make seasons of disappointment, seasons of questioning, seasons of maybe you're not sure if the Lord really remembers the things that he's spoken to you. It can make those times sting a little bit more. I thought of that as we sang that last song, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I remember times in my life where I don't even think I'd be able to sing those words. And when we live in a city like the Woodlands where you go to the grocery store maybe in your athleisure and you've got a messy bun on your head, but really the messy bun equivalent is still in updo. And in the Woodlands, we have to look better than Conroe in spring. 
I know what it is like to feel like things are going right for everybody else, but maybe you've been forgotten. So how, how do we believe that the promises of God are still good when we're going through a season like that? I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, where he's struggling with the Lord and he's saying, Lord, I have asked you repeatedly and repeatedly to take this affliction away from me. Don't you understand if you could just remove it, I'd be able to serve you so much better. I wouldn't be struggling underneath this. And when we're in that time, I hope this is a word that you can cling to so that eventually you may be able to say what Paul says later on in that chapter, where he says, I have learned that I can boast in my weakness, that I can still praise through my persecution and through my suffering because I have come to know that when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that your word is good, that it brings life and that it does not return void. So this morning, I ask you to give us ears to hear and a heart to receive what it is that you would say to us, Lord. We love you. We lift your name in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I'm grateful that all throughout scripture, we have examples of this. And this morning, what we're going to look at is the story of Abraham. And there are three things that I get as I read through the story of Abraham that I'm going to show you. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 12? If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can read it on the screen behind me. We're gonna start right at the top of the chapter in verse one, Genesis 12. And it says, the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I wanna give you some back story to what we're seeing happening here. And later on in, in the life of Abram, the Lord changes his name to Abraham. And so I'm just going to reference him as Abraham because that's easier for me. We're talking about the same person though. So at this point, Abraham is 75 years old when he encounters the Lord for the first time. And up to this point, Abraham had been living in his native land, which is the land of his father, he was well off, he'd accumulated his own land, his own cattle and goats and all of these things. He had a wife, but they had no children. And he was also the firstborn, which meant that he also stood to inherit the first things from his father, the best. So he was pretty comfortable. The man was set up well. And on top of that, Abraham was an idol worshiper. So he faithfully worshiped the gods of his father and his father's father and so on and so on. And then the Lord appears to Abraham one day and he says, Abraham, I need you to leave all of that behind. I need you to follow me into the place where I will lead you. 
And the invitation that God was giving to Abraham was, Abraham, these things are comfortable. These things are good. They're not bad things. I mean, you're well-established. You've got it made. But I need you to leave the good things behind so that I can lead you to the great things. And it's the invitation that all of us are extended when we accept Christ as our savior. Will we leave the good things behind? The things that that have been part of our lives constantly up to this point, but now there's an invitation from the Lord. Will you leave the good behind? And will you trust me to lead you to the best? And some of these good things are things we may not even recognize that we're doing, patterns of living, things like, well, this is how I've always done it. Why would I do it any other way? That just seems like a bunch of extra steps. It's things like, well, I've always struggled with that. So I'm not even gonna put up a fight anymore because I've always struggled with it. Or things like, everybody else does it. So why is it such a big deal for me? I should be able to do it. Agreements that we've made with statements like that, that we don't even realize, they've become part of the comfort of our life. And the Lord is saying, I want you to leave those things that are not bad, but they're not my best. I have something for you, but I need you to leave it so that you can make room in your life for me to fill it with the best. And when we first encounter the Lord, of course, we are so eager and so excited because it's fresh and it's, ex- it's amazing. Yes, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do whatever it is that you ask me to do. But then as time goes by, we begin to realize, oh man, well, this, this, this might be a little painful and this might be hard. And what if, what if he leads me out into the desert and then he changes his mind? That's that's a pretty scary thought. So yes, Lord, I'll do what you ask me to do, but if you don't mind, I'm also going to bring this carry-on sized luggage with me, and I'm gonna put in it a few things for the just-in-case moments. The just-in-case moments that you don't do what makes me comfortable. So I'm gonna put in the suitcase some friendships, just like those three, those three friends. Even though every time I talk to them, I end up compromising the things that you've put in my heart to do. And I don't like myself after spending time with them. But what if you lead me to a place where I don't have any friends? And inside the suitcase, I'm gonna put some money. Because what if you lead me to a place and don't provide for me? So I'm gonna obsess about money and I'm gonna obsess about providing for myself because I don't think you'll provide enough for me when I get there. And just in case you take me to a place where nobody knows who I am and nobody knows what I can do, I'm gonna put my reputation in there. And then whenever I get to where it is you're taking me, I'm gonna take a picture with the kids and the orphanages every single day. And I'm gonna post it on social media so that people back home know just how selfless I am. Because I have to have a reputation 
And I have to have man's approval because what if you lead me somewhere and I don't have that anymore? So we bring a bag with us for those just in case moments. And don't worry, Abraham did the exact same thing. We see later on in the story that Abraham agrees, yes, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you lead. I'm gonna bring my cattle. I'm gonna bring all of my possessions. I'm gonna bring my wife. And I'm also gonna bring my nephew because his father passed away and I'm all he's got. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna even though you told me to leave my relatives behind, I'm gonna bring my nephew. And his nephew actually ends up causing him a lot of problems down the road. And in addition to that, there's a famine in the land of Canaan. And so Abraham leaves and he goes to Egypt, but he doesn't believe that the Lord will, will provide what he said, that he will bless those who bless him and he will curse those who curse him. And so Abraham turns to his wife and he says, Sarah, you're a pretty woman and I'm pretty sure they're gonna kill me for you. So tell him you're my sister. And he, she does, and she gets taken captive. And the thing is, the man didn't learn the lesson the first time because he does it twice. Two times, Abraham doesn't believe the Lord will do what he says he will do, so his wife gets taken captive. I can think of many a time where I have had those just-in-case moments. Those just-in-case you don't do it the way that I think you should. One of them wasn't that long ago. And we, it was when we were in the hospital with our daughter and she was little at the time. So she's a tiny thing. And she had all of these wires attached to her. So when we were in the playroom, I had to follow her around with this pole. And I was seven months pregnant. I was exhausted. We'd been in there for a good amount of time. And I had just finished telling her, Ezra, when, like, when you're done playing this in two minutes, we are going back to the room and we're gonna take a nap, both of us. We're gonna take a nap. And as soon as I had finished saying that, this woman walks into the playroom and she, she ain't got no kid, which is a, a weird, like don't go into a playroom if you don't have a kid with you, that's weird. And she, she goes in and she's like, hi. And I like, who? Oh, you're talking to me. Oh, you're not, you're here for me. She came into the playroom for me and I'm exhausted. I am not in that mental headspace whatsoever. I am not interested in giving any more energy than I have already given. So when she sits down, I make the observation that she's got a cross necklace on. And I think, okay, you're a believer. You just need a listening ear. I don't need to say anything. You don't need my encouragement. You probably already know it all, it's good. So she goes on this 10 minute monologue of how her marriage is struggling because her daughter has been in the hospital and she and her husband are butting heads and the doctors can't figure out what's wrong with their daughter and she can't keep any food down. She's losing weight. She goes on and on and on. The only thing that made it worse was the fact that while she was pouring her heart out, she was also shoveling her lunch into her mouth, which was chicken salad. And I don't know if you know what misophonia is, but it is the intense hatred of certain sounds. Well, I have that. And it's specifically of the sound of chewing. 
The sound of chewing is nails on a chalkboard for my ears and listening to her talk and chew at the same time. I was dying a little inside. I promise you, if I could have just straight up gotten up and walked out of the room without saying anything, I would have done it. But finally, she takes a breath and I say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Ezra, do you need a diaper change? Let's take you to the room and get your diaper changed. Bye, nice to meet you. And as I'm walking out the door, this very kind volunteer walks in. And the volunteers at the church, they or not at the church, at the hospital, they work for churches. And so their whole job is to be there and interact with, with people. And I, I hear her begin to tell him the exact same story. And his response to her is, do you go to church? And I thought, bro, she's wearing a cross necklace, duh. <laughs> and her response to him was, actually, I don't. But having a sick child in the hospital will really make you question what you believe. And I about melted to the floor. I mean, I'm thinking not only am I on staff at a church, I lead a young adult's ministry and this opportunity was hitting me straight in the face and I straight up missed it because instead of keeping my eyes on what the Lord wanted to do in my time there, Instead of keeping my eyes on what God may have been doing in a situation, my eyes were totally fixed on my own self-preservation. I was obsessed with how I felt, with my own comfort. I had a fear that maybe the Lord would ask just a little bit more of me that I didn't want to give. And in those just in case moments, that's why we pack that bag and we bring it with us for the sake of fear. Fear of what if it is hard? What if it is painful? But I love what Chris Vallotton says when he talks about fear. He says, fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. Fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. And I'm so grateful for the Lord's grace because he knew I would totally blow that moment. And the Lord also knew that Abraham would make many, many mistakes. The Lord wasn't surprised by that whatsoever. But he chose Abraham because the promise that he spoke to him was not dependent on Abraham getting it perfect. It was dependent on God. The promise that the Lord spoke to Abraham was not dependent on Abraham's perfect behavior and perfect execution of everything that the Lord asked him to do. The promise was dependent on God. And you know, Satan wants you to think that the mistake or the doubt that you have experienced regarding the promises of God, that's the undoing of what God wants to do in your life. But actually, it's not that. It's the point where our weakness meets his greatness. Because how often do we read promises in scripture? How, how often do we recount the things that the Lord has told us? But then for some reason, we begin to walk and act like the promise is dependent on us. Like we have to do things perfectly and we have to manage everything exact. 
in order for the Lord to fulfill what it is that he has said. But I wanna encourage you this morning and I hope that you know that that is not your burden to carry. That's not your burden to carry. Our job is to believe the promises with great faith. The Lord's job is to fulfill the things that he has spoken. Abraham didn't need to carry the burden of providing for himself in the land of Egypt. But here is the second thing that I want you to get, and this is God's part in the whole story. And the thing is that even though Abraham only obeyed in part, God rewarded him in full. Because what we see when Sarah is taken captive in both circumstances, is that the Lord defends her. The Lord protects her. She is never harmed. And in certain situations, not only is Abraham restored everything that he came with, but one of the kings says, you know, as a peace offering, let me give you even more. Let me give you some of my livestock. Let me give you some of my land. Let me give you some of my money as a peace offering for taking your wife. Even though you lied to us, is your fault she got taken. Here, take some of our stuff. Even though Abraham doubted that the Lord was actually going to fulfill what he said in giving him a son, and he agreed with Sarah that he should have a child with her maidservant. Even though Abraham thought, well, maybe I'll fulfill the promise of God on my own. Even though Sarah laughed in the face of God, that the Lord would give her a child, even though he still fulfilled his promise in full. And in those situations, I think Abraham did what a lot of us will do. When we hear a promise from the Lord, we begin to assign our own thoughts and expectations to what that will look like when it plays out in our life. And sometimes that sets us up for a really big disappointment. And in one of these situations, Abraham comes to the Lord and he is frustrated because he still doesn't have a child. And he's saying, Lord, don't you know that this random man who serves in my house, he's going to be the heir of everything that I have. You have not fulfilled what you said to me. And the Lord in his kindness begins to talk to Abraham. And he says, you know what? Let me reiterate my promise to you. Why don't you come and let's make a covenant together. Let's make a covenant and, and I will assure you that I will uphold the things that I've told you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these animals and I want you to slaughter them and lay them out with a path in the middle. And so Abraham obeys, he does what the Lord says. And right before Abraham goes to walk through the covenant, the Lord puts him to sleep. And the Lord begins to give him even more detail and even more information and even more reassurance that he will, in fact, fulfill the promise that he has spoken over Abraham. And when he is done reassuring the man, he does something incredible. God himself walks through the covenant. God does what Abraham cannot because what that means, when somebody walks through a covenant 
like that. It says, be unto me as these animals are. Should I not uphold my end of the covenant? And the Lord is saying to Abraham, Abraham, if I don't give you what I promised to give you, be it unto me. He is reassuring the man. And not only does God reassure him that he will uphold his end of the covenant, but he is also reassuring Abraham, you don't have to worry. I'll uphold your end as well. I'll uphold your end as well. What the Lord was able to accomplish through Abraham was not because Abraham was capable in any way of fulfilling it on his own, but what the Lord saw in Abraham was a heart that was willing. He saw a heart that was willing to say yes when the Lord called. A heart that would say, yes, Lord, I will do it when he asks him to do the difficult things. And Abraham could believe with great faith that the Lord would uphold his end of the promise. I love the way that Paul describes it in Romans chapter four, starting in verse 18. This is what Paul says about Abraham's faith. He said, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. You know, not long before the Lord appeared to Abraham, it was the same voice that spoke creation into existence. It was the same voice that came low and gathered dirt in his hands. It's the same breath that breathed that dirt into life. That's the same voice that was speaking that promise to Abraham on that day. And it is the same voice that speaks the promises to you and to me. It is a voice that holds power. And if we think that any of our sin or any of our failure or even something as fleshly as age could undo the things that the Lord has spoken out of his own mouth, then we put far too much weight on those things and not nearly enough weight on the power of the voice of God. Because I assure you, he doesn't speak in vain. He doesn't speak without intention. What he starts, he finishes. And if it proceeds from his mouth, he plans to uphold it. You can be assured he has seen every day of your life. The days you have lived and the days that are yet to come, he knows everything about you. He knows everything that you have done or everything you will do. There is nothing you can do that would be a surprise to God. And yet he has spoken a promise over you and it stands. 
it stands. There is nothing you could ever do where he's like, oh, I did not see that coming. I'm gonna have to change my mind. I don't, I don't know if I can do that anymore. None of that happens with our God. If he has spoken it over you, it's because he plans to fulfill it. And this is the third thing that I want you to get out of our message today, and that is Jesus's part. Because the Lord knew that Abraham could not uphold his end of the covenant. He knew that he would have to uphold Abraham's end as well. And the Lord also knows that you and I are not able to fulfill our end of the covenant. And so in our place, he sent his son. Aren't you glad that fair is not a word in God's dictionary? I'm so grateful that he does not demand fairness because it doesn't make sense to our minds how someone who can only give such a small amount of themselves is reciprocated with the fullness of all that God can give. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. We could not pay the price for our salvation on our own. And so in our place, the Lord paid it with the blood of Jesus Christ and not just in his death, but in his resurrection. We also too were raised into new life, into new hope, into new freedom and into new promise. You and I now take part in a new covenant and a new promise. And our enemy would love to keep us shackled to the things of our past, to all the things that we've done wrong to try and convince us that we have to carry that burden on our own. We have to make it so that we deserve the new promise. I assure you, we could never do anything to deserve it. But he does that because he knows that if we as believers could believe the promises of God with full faith, like the faith of Abraham, then as we begin to walk that out, there is absolutely nothing that could hold us back. Nothing. So this morning, I believe that there are places in our lives where we have made an agreement that the Lord can never use that. The Lord will never do it. He's not gonna fulfill his promise. Places like a burden or a call that the Lord has put on your heart and you think it's too big, it's too grand, I could never achieve something like that. Maybe it's a dream or a vision that the Lord has given you and you told somebody and they told you, all right, bring it down a couple notches, that's just a little bit too lofty. Or maybe, maybe it's a promise that the Lord spoke in your life and it has been years and years and years and you think that he has forgotten or he's changed his mind. As our worship team comes out, I want to speak this over you this morning and I hope that you cling to it. I hope you take it and you run with it because I assure you, that if you still have a pulse, the Lord still has a purpose. If you are still breathing, then he is still working. 
You may have taken off your cleats, hung them up, walked off the field and you have called it, but I assure you that the Lord is still in the game and it's not over. The promises are upheld, not because of you, but because our God speaks with power. He speaks with strength and if he has said it, he will uphold it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are good. You are strong and mighty. Lord, that your word goes forth and it changes things. Lord, like David said, the sound of your voice, it breaks the cedars. There is nothing too big or too strong or too lofty for you. So Lord, this morning I ask you that this word would be like a seed planted in our hearts, that it would begin to grow and take root, that we would walk it out with great faith, clinging to the fact that the promises you've spoken, they don't depend on us, but they are good simply because you said them. If you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I wanna give everybody in the room an opportunity to give your heart to the Lord if you've not already done so. So if everybody in the room would please repeat after me, we're gonna say it all together. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my savior. Lead me, guide me. And this morning I say yes to taking hold of the new promise. If you keep your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you've said it a long time ago, and this morning you've decided to give your heart to the Lord again. We're not gonna embarrass you, we're not gonna call you out or make you come up front, but we would like to ask you to raise your hand so that we know you've given your heart to the Lord. Thank you so much, amen. Amen, would you please look up here? Well, I am so honored. I'm so honored and thank you for allowing me to come and bring you the last message in this series. It has been a joy to be with you this morning. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc.